0: Hello and welcome to Within Normal Limits, Copic's podcast featuring discussions of patient safety in the modern healthcare world. I'm your host, Eric Zacharias, a risk manager and patient safety consultant for Copic, as well as a practicing internal medicine physician. Thank you for listening and helping us further Copic's mission of improving medicine in the communities we serve. For joining us on Within Normal Limits. I'm really excited to have Susan Scambotti, who is a colorectal surgeon with us as our guest. Uh, she is also uh, medical director uh, for Copic patient safety and risk management. Uh, Dr. Scambotti, welcome back to Within Normal Limits.
1: Thanks, Eric. It's been always a been pleasure here.
0: So we're going to talk about uh, guidelines to prevent bile duct injuries, and just some general uh, injury risks as well uh, performed during cholecystectomy. This is an important topic, and I know uh, you were a general surgeon first, uh, which means you went through, I don't even know the number of years. How many years of general surgery training before you did your fellowship?
1: Five plus research, so generally it could be between five and seven.
0: Well, I think that would meet anybody's criteria for a long time spent doing general surgery procedures of which uh, laparoscopic cholecystectomies are are some of the most common. And I believe you started training around the same time I did. Uh, I was in med school and I think you were probably just starting your surgical residency when uh, the laparoscopic cholecystectomy was actually being introduced. Uh, Tell me a little bit about why uh, this was introduced from doing uh, those big uh, exposures where you open up and you can you can see the liver all the way down to the to the uh, to the pelvis on these giant incisions. So why why was that changed?
1: Well, really, it was patient and surgeon um, satisfaction. The uh, incision, the traditional cholecystectomy incision under your uh, subcostal incision, is very morbid. Um, because you are uh, cutting several muscles um, and it's painful and uh, it takes a long time to recover for uh, patients, um, the laparoscopic approach uh, is truly uh, was life life changing for everyone. is three small incisions and um, it the visualization was excellent and. When we were done, um, patients generally stayed overnight uh, as opposed to five to seven days. So uh, for patients in terms of their recovery, um, time in the hospital and time off of work was all a plus, uh, as well as for surgeons who uh, didn't have big inpatient um, uh, population, uh, their patients were home. So that's good for everyone. Um, But what we did notice, uh, and I was, you know, a part of uh, some very long laparoscopic cholecystectomies as our attendings learned to do the procedure. Um, I did stare at the anatomy quite a bit, which was helpful. Um, but we have seen over the past thirty years that with adoption of this approach, uh, there has been an increase in the number of bile duct injuries compared to the open cholecystectomy. Um, and our latest Copascope uh, highlighted a uh, article from the Annals of Surgery from 2020 uh, that looked at guidelines from a multi-society consensus meeting that aimed at identifying optimal strategies to prevent bile duct injuries during cholecystectomy. Um, really, it's kind of the first of its kind. They're trying to Um, help minimize variability in surgical care for the patient undergoing cholecystectomy, reduce the risk of a bile duct injury, improve um, associated morbidity, cost and quality of life uh, as well. So um, this article uh, did show us 18 guidelines and then um, looked at them from a uh, evidence-based approach. um, I, uh, highlighted five of them, uh, for the audience, um, which I felt were the more important ones to look at.
0: Yeah. And, and before we dive into those, I just want to get a little more of the history because I, I find this fascinating. And I do remember vividly, uh, when I would study anatomy in an anatomic textbook, say a netter, uh, drawing, uh, or uh, you, somebody has expertly dissected your cadaver and displayed all the different structures. And then you you get there in the operating room, and, and of course, we would all fight to be the one to hold the camera so you don't die of boredom during the procedure as a med student. Uh, and the surgeons who are incredibly trained, very, very experienced surgeons, done hundreds, if not thousands of these procedures, are suddenly lost in space when they get up near the, up near the gallbladder. so that's a, a kind of a segue into this question of what are they looking for? what is this, uh, this critical structure they're supposed to supposed to find and identify and, and maybe especially for the non-surgeons in our audience, explain why it doesn't necessarily look like a netter drawing when you're actually in somebody's uh, abdominal cavity.
1: Well, keep in mind that we are not in the practice of taking out perfectly healthy gallbladders. So there's disease there, and depending on the longevity of the process, uh, whether it's an acute cholecystitis or chronic, uh, exacerbated by an acute episode, the anatomy does not look like the netter diagram, Um, and. Then, on top of it, the surgeon's experience with laparoscopy, meaning um, your um, haptics are gone, your your feel, um, and movement of the uh, trocars and such, um, and the instruments within the trocars, I should say, uh, is not always in a one-to-one ratio with how your brain's working. So, there's adjustments that take place in any laparoscopic approach. Okay, um, so I think that that is the first first thing to be said, that there is not normal anatomy all the time, uh, and um, then there are anatomic variants as well. Uh, what I think you're alluding to is the critical view of safety, or CVS, and this is one of their uh, guidelines that they highlighted um, that should be identified, You must identify the critical view of safety um, to identify the cystic duct and artery prior to transecting any structure. And they even took it one step further, although it is not backed by sufficient evidence, but they do recommend a timeout be used to verify the critical view of safety, um, and they call this a best practice. Uh, and really, it's a momentary pause for the surgeon to confirm his or her own mind, in her, his or her own mind, that um, the CVS has been attained before anything is cut, because we know that most of these um, injuries occur because of a perception error. So anything you can uh, do to kind of regroup, get some consensus, take a deep breath. Do a timeout is recommended.
0: Yeah, that is what I was alluding to, and it it certainly makes good sense. And uh, again, as a as a non surgeon speaking to a surgeon, I'm I'm slightly outside my lane, but I, I have been in the OR more than uh, you know most non surgeons, and uh, I I just remember that the the ones who tend to get the best outcomes, or certainly were the ones that we would say, gosh, I want this man or woman operating on me uh, if I ever have a procedure, did, they were very methodical in, in, in complicated areas. They were very methodical around the gallbladder, and they would often say, you know, to, to other experienced, usually a technician or, or a secondary surgeon in the room, do you agree that this appears to be the cystic duct to you? Does this uh, do you think this is the hepatic artery or, or those other, are those other structures? So when you're, when you're by yourself and you're, you're not in an academic center, uh, how do you, uh, how do you maintain that, that same degree of caution when you're in those areas?
1: Well, that would be where your, your kind of timeout comes into place. Uh, and if you are not sure that you can achieve this view, um, or clearly identified biliary anatomy, imaging, cholangiogram, uh, is highly recommended. Uh, and essentially, these, this consensus paper said it should be used liberally. Now, this is well beyond the co- uh, the scope of Copic to tell you how to do a cholecystectomy. So let's keep in mind that we're really discussing how to, number one, minimize your risk while doing it. And then number two, also help us be able to defend you better should the event occur that you injure a bile duct. Um, Because it does occur as, you know, the statistics show occurs in the rate of about one to 2% of, um, if we include even um, small ductal injuries uh, or biliary leaks, I should say, um, in in with our data. Um, so there are other approaches you could take, um, subtotal cholecystectomy, fundus first, or the top down one. Um, but again, beyond the scope of this conversation, um, but we really have to look at how to minimize your risk when you're doing this, specifically when you're doing a difficult one.
0: Yeah, that that makes good sense, and one of the things that, you know, I've got the article right in front of me, so I'm cheating to say I've memorized this, uh, but you, you talk a little bit about acute cholecystitis as well and how that presents uh, a, a little bit more of a challenge, and again, you, you're not saying the standard of care is necessarily to do the intraoperative imaging, but at least to consider it, because uh, I presume it's just it's harder to get uh, your your, uh, your bearings when there's acute cholecystitis. Why is that something to consider in that scenario?
1: Well, exactly. There's there's a lot. There could be a lot of inflammation there. So um, uh, adhesions to other structures, etc. And so while interestingly, the um, there is not a uh, lot of evidence to support. Um, a uh, must-always-use intraoperative imaging during uh, dissections of her acute cholecystitis. When you look at the flip side of it, after there is an injury and Copic is trying to defend you or even just kind of debriefing you on what happened, um, the imaging wasn't performed sooner but later, namely after the duct was cut, and so, what this is really getting you to think of is, in a sticky situation, um, you can, you should use that imaging sooner than later before the injury occurs, because it's much more defensible that you took out, you did every possible precaution, um, you could before you cut any ducts and the injury also it still occurred. Um, as we know, people are consented during uh, before they undergo a laparoscopic cholecystectomy for the possibility of a bile duct injury. Okay, but um, it still matters what you dictate, um, how you dictate it, and what steps you took. Let me give you an example. I've seen operative reports where the surgeon has said. This is one of the worst gallbladders I've ever seen and um, the adhesions were terrible and the patient's body habits was such. And so with each of those statements, we're getting the impression, yes, this was tough. But what did you do to mitigate that risk? I mean, you saw these adhesions, you knew this was a large patient, you, um, so because of that, what did you do? Well, I made sure that my partner scrubbed in with me at the beginning of the case, we scheduled it together. We made sure we did intra cholangiogram at the start of the procedure to define our anatomy. So I recognize these, yet I took steps to mitigate the risk. It is so much more defensible than I thought something was wrong. I saw bile, so I got an intrapecal angiogram. That's tough to to, um, describe your decision process after it's done.
0: Yeah, that that makes good sense. And also, when you mentioned the risk stratification, uh, there are uh, uh, several different systems for risk stratifying, which may not actually, it's certainly no data to prove they reduce risk, but at least it shows you thought through that this might be more complicated. So if a complication occurs, uh, you give the impression and, and probably, in fact, you actually are uh, more cautious and thoughtful in your approach, which therefore makes an error uh, more defensible because, as as you know, with your experience, even in the absence of of negligence uh, bad outcomes sometimes happen and tough surgeries and uh, demonstrating that you're thoughtful if it does come to litigation uh certainly helps your uh, helps your case
1: precisely and you you're just very perceived as um so much more thorough if you can say oh well according to the tokyo guidelines um you know this patient this patient was at high risk because it was a male who is older and had, um, cirrhosis and chronic cystitis? So I recognized before I even started this, that we were, um, in for, um, a difficult procedure. So it just goes to your credibility as well.
0: Yeah. And then the, the final point, and let's talk about the, uh, making it more difficult on yourself unnecessarily with a single port or, uh, I don't even know if they use a robot uh, up around the the gallbladder, but uh, trying to make the 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 procedure harder on yourself. What do you recommend as far as uh, single port or other uh, other techniques versus standard multi-port uh, laparoscopy?
1: Uh, well, uh, I think that the um, standard single port. I'm sorry, standard multi multi port laparoscopic technique is the way to go, and the consensus panel also felt that as well. Um, so, single port, yes, it's very sexy, uh, uh, but really their morbidity is not um, decreased by all that much, um, and um, it was not really recommended. What is interesting in that area um, a, a recommendation is what to do to bail out. Meaning, uh, if you are really encountering problems during the laparoscopic cholecystectomy uh, and is a difficult, you've identified it as difficult, the question is do you stop, open, and proceed with, say, a subtotal cholec- um, cholecystectomy, um, or do you um, just close and drain and Leave well enough alone. The data is out, but this is very interesting. uh, The data is non-existent, I should say, but this is an area of uh, study, and hopefully we will come up with um, some recommendations on this. Because, as you know, opening to kind of go back full circle, the open colostomy is a morbid procedure, and if you're going to open and don't have the experience to do what you came to do, you may be better off putting a drain in and getting the patient uh, through the surgery and to a higher level of care.
0: That's really useful. And those are the, the, the big five points. And so uh, I think as you described the specifics for cholecystectomy, uh, it, it is consistent with almost every other surgical uh, procedure where there's risk. The good informed consent process, the documenting your thought process, Uh, careful and cautious performance of the procedure using the techniques that you're well-trained in and then recognition and, and rescue of of complications. And, and uh, so this is my attempt to jump through the surgical hoops. Are there other uh, key points you want to, uh, to leave with our uh, listeners?
1: I do think that your dictation matters in these um, instances. So, just the facts, please. Um, Do not embellish. Do not blame the patient. Do not go off on a tangent on how difficult this was. Um, Be very clear um, of what you recognize, when you recognized, and what you did once you recognized it. Um, uh, Because these are operative notes in cases of litigation that are scrutinized very carefully.
0: Great. That's a a wonderful final word. Dr. Scambotti, thank you for being a guest yet again. It is truly my pleasure, Eric.
1: Hi, this is Dr. Susan Scambotti, a colorectal surgeon and medical director of Copic. thanking you for being a listener. We hope you find Within Normal Limits to be interesting and informative as we at Copic continue with new ways to bring you content relevant to our mission. Please email us at w n l podcast at copic.com with show ideas or topics you would like to see addressed in future episodes of within normal limits navigating medical risk also please subscribe on your podcast platform of choice so you don't miss any of our content and while you're at it please give us a rating if you enjoyed our show